You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everyone. It is now five o'clock here at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, and you are listening to Campus Beat, and I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. And today I have the great privilege of welcoming Linda Mussel, the Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and Joseph Armand Bombardier, CGS doctoral scholar in the Department of Political Studies at Queen's University. She's here in studio with us today. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. Happy to be here. Really happy that you're here, too. Uh, you've been the topic of conversation, or rather, uh, what you've written about is the topic of conversation these days. Uh, Linda recently wrote a piece entitled, A Prison is No Place for a Party in the Conversation, an academic online journal. And we'll talk about what the conversation is and that article in just a few moments. But before we dive into all of that, Linda, tell us a little bit about yourself and your dissertation research here at Queen's. Sure. So I'm a fourth year uh, doctoral candidate in the Department of Political Studies. Mm -hmm. Uh, My research focuses on incarceration. And I look at topics more broadly, but my specific project is on intergenerational incarceration, which means people in communities have multiple generations of loved ones that are going through the system. And in terms of this particular work around KP, it's stemming from work I've been doing around P4W, the mm-hmm. prison for women, formerly incarcerated women there. Mm-hmm. So that's really where that kind of sprung out from the other community work that I'm doing in the town. Okay. So what attracted you to your research area, let alone the Department of Political Studies at Queen's? Sure. So uh, during my master's, I started volunteering uh, with Elizabeth Fry Society of Greater Vancouver. Uh, I was volunteering with their Just Kids program, so kids who have incarcerated parents. And that's when I really discovered my passion for this area, for supporting people impacted by the justice system. I did my research on uh, the kids during mm-hmm. my master's degree, and then I wanted to broaden it out. I came to Kingston because of the uh, the prisons here. It has the highest per capita in the country. Um, and I came here to work with my supervisor, Margaret Little, who works with marginalized communities. She, wor- she works around poverty issues. So uh, that's that's why I came here. And it's it's been perfect, the perfect place for me to really, uh, really try to contribute as, most, as much as I can to these issues. All right. And what about teaching? Are you doing any teaching in the department as of yet? So I've been TAing, uh, but okay. I'm going to be teaching my first course in the winter semester. Oh, exciting. Yeah, and it's going to be around these topics. It's going to be about incarceral policy um, in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. So... All right. So Queen's students, that's a that's a course to sign up for. Is it a lecture or a seminar? <laughs> it's a seminar, a fourth year seminar for political studies students. All right. So register early. <laughs> It'll be full. <laughs> okay. So um, as I mentioned at the top, you recently wrote this article, A Prison is No Place for a Party mm-hmm. in the Conversation. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk to you more about this fascinating article. But before uh, diving into that, For our listeners who may be unaware, what is the conversation and why is everybody talking about it? So the conversation is a uh, platform online for academics, for scholars to present their research 
in a way that is accessible for everyone to read. I'm pretty sure Queen's University is one of the institutions that helps set up the conversation. Mm -hmm. So we have really close links with trying to get scholars to publish there. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is that lots of other newspapers and media sources will pick up articles. And that's kind of what happens with this one. Mm -hmm. uh, Global Kingston interviewed me the next day uh, and presented things, framed things in a, a slightly different way that really got a lot of people interested, you know, upset, you know, mm -hmm. or in support. So that's what the conversation is. And that's how it got picked up. It's actually starting conversations, often which are developed by scholars such as yourself mm -hmm. and brought forward for community conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, with the article itself, a prison is no place for a party. What issues are you starting conversations about in this article? Right. So I think I'm not necessarily starting the conversations, but I think I'm sort of uh, putting them out there in a more public way. So okay. there, are, there are people in Kingston that have been thinking about these things and have written to me saying they've been thinking about this, but they, they thought it was a radical thing to say. So, um, so what I'm saying in the piece is that we aren't talking about uh, the complete history of the institution. We aren't presenting that information to people that go to use the facility. So when people are going there for a rock concert, they're going there to have a good time. They're going there uh, because they're curious about like the morbid you know, facts about a prison or they want to see what it feels like to be in a prison, but they aren't being given information about what it really means to be imprisoned, what it was like over the history, 178 years in the institution, and what it means today. Mm -hmm. So all of those pieces are sort of being left out of the conversation. And I think that Kingston has a very complicated relationship to these places. And mm -hmm. so it's especially important for us to kind of start to think about it a bit more. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say like people are, I, I want to go to the prison so I can feel what it's like to be there. I'm not sure how that translates because... I feel like if you want to understand what it's like to be in prison, you probably need, have, need to actually be in prison. Yes. I don't think you can really, yeah. you can't understand the experience of being in prison unless you've been there yourself. That's that's what I would think. Okay. Um, I think people are going there and it's, it's, like, it's something to do that's fun. So people will take pictures behind bars. They have like a photo selfie sort of station where people can hold up a sign with like a number. So it's it's sort of like a fun activity, like a fun way to see what it's like to be inside. Mm. But it's not really presenting any voices from people who were behind bars. It's not talking about any of the darker things that happen in there, including corporal punishment, um, solitary confinement. Really, the stories are presented to show the institution is functioning as intended and as a place of, of like service and a place of, you know, criminals who deserve to be there, um, leaving out all of the other stories that kind of complicate that. Mm -hmm. So after the conversation article was deployed and people started reading it, and then, of course, you got some coverage with uh, uh, global uh, media as well, mm -hmm. what conversations have actually started that you're aware of or are now participating in? So there's a real range of perspectives on this. So there are some people who are very supportive, you know, especially people that have, you know, that I know in this space, people who are advocates, people who have been incarcerated, um, scholars, there's a lot of support coming there. Um, then there's some people that 
view, you know, ask what's the big deal? Like you have other institutions that have dark histories. Everything has, you know, every place has some sort of aspect to it that isn't savory. Mm-hmm. So some people just ask what's the big deal. Um, some people think, you know, you know, it's for a good cause. So they're looking at the ends um, and they see that as justifying the use. Um, and then some people sort of say, you know, the worst of the worst were present there. Like, who cares? Like, let's just move on. So there's a real range of things that have come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's really consensus on this come out of this conversation. I think it's gonna, something that's going to continue to unfold. Okay. Yeah. Has there been opposition in the sense of, like, I, I totally support entertainment and we should be using this to gain tourist dollars or something? Yeah, there have there have been those voices coming up, for sure. <laughs> okay, so what kinds of justifications are, are being used for that, though, too? So uh, the idea that otherwise the building will be empty, it's not serving a purpose, um, the idea that it, it is educational, so not looking at, you know, maybe ignoring what I'm saying about the history not being complete some people saying you know i had a great time like i thought it was a good experience so it should continue Mm -hmm. okay so now we've talked a little bit about the the article itself and the conversations uh, therein and that have sprung from uh, and you've touched on it a little bit too in in the aspects of dark tourism and that emerged Mm. in the article itself what is dark tourism and what examples other than, I suppose, the Kingston Penitentiary. What examples might we find in Kingston? Sure. So uh, dark tourism means to be generating you know, money, tourism money, from sites that are associated with suffering and death. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it is in a nutshell. And I think you see that in KP, seeing as people go in and they see cells where people were confined. Um, if they go to the prison museum across the street, that's another example of dark tourism where they have uh, like displayed like the implements of corporal punishments. So um, like cat o' nine tails and paddles and such. Other examples of dark tourism would be the uh, trolley tours in Kingston, which go by the prisons in the city. There's also like a selfie station in one of the hotels downtown that are, you know, with like bars. So that would be kind of alluding to that dark tourism too. It's kind of a, yeah, I just had heard about this recently. Oh, and the, um, the haunted walks, uh, they go, you know, they're giving like, um, you know, stories that are meant to like spook you or scare you about, you know, murders are like very sad incidents in history um, and one of the things that they talk about they go past the uh, Frontenac uh, courthouse and they talk about how the gallows were behind there um, and that's where people who were condemned to death uh, were hanged in Kingston, mm-hmm. in Kingston until um, I think the last person was hanged in the 40s okay so that would be another example sort of tied to an institution tied to tourism uh, in which people are deriving entertainment. Mm-hmm. But this isn't particularly unique to Kingston, though. Dark tourism, no. I, I, well, I feel like I've traveled a fair amount, but any time I visit somewhere, there's always some kind of, I guess, yeah, dark tourist, dark tourism element or some element of the macabre or the spooky or the scary, and it's usually involving, you know, prison or death. Mm-hmm. So why are people... I don't know what your your uh, expertise would be in the, you know, emotional responses here. You're in political studies. You're not a psychologist, yeah. are you? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so why are people so fond of sensational stories and attended sites like KP or the gallows behind a courthouse? Um, I think I think that there's this sense of like. Uh, 
taboo associated with the sites. Okay. Of course, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but I think that people are sort of drawn to these places where, you know, they think they lock up the worst of the worst in society. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want to sort of like see what what's going on back there, like in a fun way. So they're drawn to the taboo. I think in Kingston, especially, there's a very particular relationship with prisons, given that so many people are closely tied to them. Mm. People people are employed there. And so I think there's also like a sense of pride and history attached to these institutions, too. And then there's also people who like have much closer ties in terms of volunteering, um, family being incarcerated there. And so they have a, a bit of a different tie to it. But I think Kingston has this complicated relationship okay. with institutions. Okay, so what stories then, or whose voices are being ignored with this apparent focus on uh, entertainment? So I think the main voices that are really missing, in a way that you can see if you go to other uh, prisons that have tours, there's there's no voice of the people behind the bars. So um, when you go there, the the tours are conducted by um, by staff and by former guards, and so they're giving a very specific perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an incorrect perspective, but it's only one piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nobody there's nobody there that was behind bars that's part of those tours. And when they were creating the script of the tours, um, former incarcerated people, their families, advocates were not a part of making that script. So that kind of that perspective is really missing there. That's really strange. Like, why wouldn't you hire a former inmate to also participate in that process? So uh, the firsthand experience, I think, would also be quite exceptional. And I would think that actually be a little more interesting, too. Yeah. And other tours do have that. Like um, Alcatraz, for example, is sort of has a 50-50 split in the audio tour of formerly incarcerated people and guards and staff who are presenting the stories. Um, but the reason why it's been crafted in this certain way can be sort of explored. Other researchers have looked at this. So um, Justin Pichet, uh, Kevin Walby ha- did research on this. They did freedom of uh, information requests to mm-hmm. see exactly how these tours were created and the conversations that were happening with the partners involved to uh, present them in this way. Um, and there were a lot of politics involved with the closing down, decommissioning of a prison, um, the people who were being shifted around to other places to work. Um, and so the construction of that message was really done with that in mind, okay. with the fallout of closing a prison. Okay. <clears throat> so now having published this article and started some conversations about it, do you feel like you've achieved any outcomes that you hoped for when you initially started writing it? Well, it got way more reception than I thought it did. So I'm, I'm happy that people, you know, and lots of people gave comments online, you know, many not in support, but I'm glad that people took the time mm-hmm. to think about it, to, you know, give a comment, even if they thought it was complete um, nonsense. Um, so just getting people to reflect, that was really my purpose. But it, I think it accomplished more than I thought it would. So um, the CEO of United Way having to respond to what I said and to defend their use of the prison, I think, was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't expecting that. And what was and what was the response from the United Way? So the response from the United Way was really focusing on um, the, the money that's generated from uh, these endeavors. So they do get donations from the tours, and they were getting donations from the uh, concert, mm-hmm. uh, benefiting homeless youth in Kingston, mm-hmm. which 
I think is great. However, you can collect donations in many different ways. It doesn't need to be through a former prison. Um, and so they were responding to my comment saying that the means really matters. It's not just the ends. So the means meaning like um, going into a site that was a place of suffering that doesn't necessarily justify then having money to give to people that are suffering. Uh, so that was kind of what was what was the discussion in a nutshell, I'd say. Okay. Can you remind our listeners what the United Way has anything to do with this conversation to some of the folks who may not have read the article? Right. So the United Way, KFLNA, Kingston, Frontenac, yep. Lennox, and Addington. Yep. Okay. So, so tell us about the United Way and why they're involved in this. Right. So... I think the United Way is great. Um, they're a huge presence in the community. Um, they are one of the partners uh, at KP in terms of, uh, so they're a partner with uh, Corrections Canada and with uh, the Park Service um, in Kingston. And so they're getting donations uh, through the use of the prison. And in terms of this conversation, I was sort of saying, you know, the way that this event is being promoted and marketed is not taking into account, you know, the history of the institution and uh, it needs to be questioned. Mm -hmm. So that's how they sort of were linked into this, this particular conversation. Okay, gotcha. So just moving back a little bit then, um, you mentioned a couple of times in the article uh, the importance of healing memory mm -hmm. and awareness. This occurred a couple of times in the article mm -hmm. uh, around the use of shuttered prisons. Can you reiterate for us why these are important for our listeners? Sure. So um, so these ideas were really coming out of my work um, with women who were formerly incarcerated in the prison for women. And these ideas are, are not necessarily just my own. They're definitely coming from the community of, of advocates and formerly incarcerated people in the city. So um, as part of the work around P4W, we've been holding healing circles every mm -hmm. year because that building and that land holds a lot of unresolved pain and trauma for the people that were incarcerated there. So healing is a really important thing uh, that we need to have happen around buildings that have closed. It isn't that people just, you know, they're moved somewhere else or released and they let it all go. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, decades later, these women at P4W have a lot of pain that they are working through. In terms of memory, it, it really comes down to having more complete memory of the institution. So in P4W and in KP and other institutions, a very specific perspective about what that institution was is often the one that's sort of promoted. And in Kingston, at least, you don't really hear about the experiences, the memories, the uh, understandings coming from people behind bars. So that was healing, memory, awareness. So awareness of uh, how these kinds of legacies continue in prisons. So mm -hmm. this is more of like a advocacy kind of thing. So, you know, I talk about in the articles, uh, segregation, um, solitary, those are things that were going, are still continuing and is an ongoing conversation in Canada. Suicide, that's a huge thing that's continuing still in prison. Mm -hmm. um, the over-incarceration of Indigenous people. So um, these things, you know, happened in history, but they still continue. And so that's something we should, you know, keep in mind and think about going forward. Okay. Why are some, like, why specifically do you think some of these aspects are uh, otherwise dismissed or not talked about as much as they ought to be? I think there's a lot of stigma attached okay. to prisons and prisoners. Um, just let's uh, just assume everybody's just a bad person for the rest of their lives. I think so. Um, or there might be other narratives, you know, okay. focusing on people as victims. I think people 
most people don't want to really think about people they label as criminals. They mm-hmm. want to they want to feel secure in their lives. They want to go on with their daily life. They don't want to think about, you know, these terrible, you know, terrible things that happen or people behind bars. So I think there's a lot of a lot of stigma mm-hmm. um, attached to these institutions. Yeah. And so with stigma that uh, certainly affects people that are obviously incarcerated, Mm -hmm. uh, the policies perhaps uh, towards prisoners uh, Mm -hmm. and parolees and people that were formerly incarcerated too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So are there ways that you think that this kind of conversation that you have uh, generated with the article, a prison is no place for a party, Mm -hmm. again, in the conversation, is there a way or do you envision um, helping to reduce stigma through that conversation? That would be great. I think there would need to be follow-up articles for sure. I think that, so this piece that I wrote for the conversation is quite short, actually. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of giving an overview of some pieces that were missing from the conversation. But I think that more more material, more questions, uh, more discussions would need to happen to really start to hit on those deeper things like stigma. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a great start, though. People have started, you know, people might have already been talking about this in their own lives, but I think a lot of people sort of um, reflected on this. And I think if there were more pieces or more conversations, that could just sort of move that bar a little bit more. So how, going right back to the top, how overall has the conversation that you've begun about uh, the prisons as no place for parties, Mm. does this invoke any of your own research? Um... I'd, I'd say it invokes more of my community work, okay. um, but it does touch on some things. Um, so I'm interested in intergenerational incarceration. I'm interested in people who are who have family that are impacted by the system, by people who have been impacted by other institutions. I'm really interested in the legacies of history. Mm-hmm. So I think there are some parallels there, and I'm deeply committed to um, how my work links into Kingston. So I think there's also a little bit of a link there too. Okay. So anything else you'd like to add about uh, the recent Rock in the Big House concert in support of the United Way before we sign off? Well, I think it'd be really interesting to find out what kind of message or acknowledgement was given at the concert. I haven't heard about that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, if they just sort of talk about, you know, other concerts that have taken place in the prison, or if they actually did talk about like this this building, it has a really uh, dark history and we're here to have a good time, but we should actually reflect on what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about how that played out um, at the recent concert. Indeed. And so where can people learn more about the history of our local penitentiaries or even the policies uh, related to their administration? Right. So there isn't as much information online as there could be about uh, these institutions in Kingston and elsewhere. There is a website that the group I've been involved with around P4W has, mm-hmm. uh, p4wmemorialcollective.com, uh, I believe. And I, we do have some other links there, too. Um, there's also the Journal of Prisoners on Prison, which has direct voice from people behind bars if people want to hear more about that experience. Okay, fascinating. Anything else you'd like to add about the conversation or your research overall? Well, I actually just published another conversation piece last night. Uh, I saw it. Okay, (laughs) yeah. 
I it, did. I've, I've, I've been tuned in. <laughs> okay. It's, it's on a completely different topic, but um, if people are curious on what else I've been up to, <laughs> there's another piece on the conversation that just came out. Yes. And that one is about Felicity. Felicity Huffman. Um, and it's around remorse and the very racialized way that remorse is uh, presented and then interpreted in courts. So that's based on other work that I've been doing with um, Dr. Michael Orsini from okay. University of Ottawa. Yes. And very timely. I understand just yesterday and that would have been September 16th, she was sentenced to 14 days in prison? She was sentenced on the 13th. Sentenced on the 13th, yeah, okay. that's right. 14 days. 14 days. Meanwhile, and I'd heard this on another program, Democracy Now!, mm -hmm. uh, they, um, Amy Goodman, the host, had mentioned that uh, the prosecutors had argued for a longer more severe sentence for everybody involved in this scandal, citing one woman who had had used her father's address to try to get her kid into a better school district. Mm -hmm. And then she went away to prison for five years. Yeah. For, you know, I just want to send my kid to a nicer school or something. Yeah. So... Uh... I think things a, like... Oh, sorry, a woman of color, incidentally, yes. too. Sorry, that, that's the important part. Yes. yes, so race, wealth, privilege, all of those things are are really, really important when it comes down to these decisions. And so the article is trying to, um, to focus in on how that, you know, kind of unfolds in court and the mm -hmm. importance of remorse and those kinds of statements and how they're interpreted and how they're factored in. And is, is this Huffman lady remorseful? So she has released remorseful statements we can't really you know say if it's fake or not her publicist is releasing really <laughs> yeah so what we're saying is it doesn't matter if if she is as remorseful as she's claiming what matters is how the court interprets it and then how the sentence is sort of crafted around that Ugh. Okay. Right, so this is uh, a second article by Linda Muscle just released yesterday? Yep. yep. All right. So with that in mind, too, keep locked into the conversation because I think we're going to hear a lot more from Linda here <laughs> on the conversation. All right. Well, thank you, Linda Muscle, for joining us in studio today. Linda Muscle is the Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Joseph Armand Bombardier CGS doctoral scholar in the Department of Political studies here at Queen's University. Wow, you've, you're really doing some pretty extraordinary research. And wow, I, I, really community engaging work that you've been doing on top of your research. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for coming in. Appreciate Thanks. your time.